0: Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play
1: Store. All right, we are back in Detroit Is Different studios. And this is definitely going on into winter Detroit, but you know. We love this Detroit winter, you know what I'm saying? I'm a December baby, Capricorn in full effect. You got to embrace it. You got to embrace the cold. But when we talk about embracing the cold, one of the things about the cold is less sunlight. And sunlight seems to be the topic of today's discussion, as I have somebody I've known since I was like, yay, yay, yay high. You know, way back to Aisha Shuley days. And right now she's running an organization, Solidarity, uh, where it's converting... Solar light, the light and the energy of the sun into something that we're all going to enjoy. Shamika Nichols, how are you feeling today?
0: I'm feeling great. How about
1: yourself? Uh, great, great, great is a heck of an adjective and one we don't hear often these days. So, when we think about this whole concept of uh, solar power, solidarity, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but I just started in introducing that whole thing. Solar power, solidarity. What is solidarity?
0: Uh, so Solidarity is a nonprofit organization that's housed in Highland Park, Michigan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we have now a little less than 10 staff, about 200 members. Wow. And um, we have been uh, in operation for 10 years. As a matter of fact, this is our 10-year anniversary.
1: Okay. Year. That's that's something to applaud for. So 10 years, a decade in, and uh, bringing solar power over to HP. You know, uh, I definitely know Mama Shoe has talked about it. Uh, connected in there, and like it's a stone's throw from over here in the Detroit. Is different incubator houses. This is like an extension of Highland Park. Some it people is. be like, this is like extra Highland Park, but it's you it know, is. it's, it's it not is. that it's far. Right there.
0: It was literally four minutes from my house, and I live in Highland Park. So okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So we we always start these Detroit is different stories, mm-hmm. uh, and, and for people that don't know, Highland Park is a city within the city limits of Detroit. It's two okay. cities. In the city limits of Detroit, Highland Park and Hamtramck. But Highland Park is definitely one of the cities that in uh, the heart. In the heart, <laughs> uh, and uh, let, let's talk about Detroit's story. Your family, what what brought your family to the city of Detroit, as you know.
0: Yeah, so uh, my grandparents moved here from down south and um, had my mom and my aunt. Mm -hmm. And um, we grew up out in uh, southwest Detroit, 48217 zip code.
1: All right, now you said down south. Whereabouts down south?
0: Um, Alabama. Uh, Montgomery, Alabama, Alabama, actually.
1: Okay, so Montgomery, Alabama, not like some uh, backwoods city of Alabama that a lot of people say. It'd be like, man, it's like seven people there. Have you ever been down to where your family's from in Montgomery? I
0: have, but it's been a very long time.
1: Okay. Uh, what were the stories that they would share uh, of the move here? If you remember anything and what they talk about in the culture down there in Montgomery?
0: Um, so I don't know a, a ton about the culture. Um, a lot of my um, memories growing up was just my grandparents being here in Detroit and uh-huh. um, my mom and I uh, just kind of duking it out for about four years, just the two of us.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and just having just tremendous, <clears throat> excuse me, tremendous support. Uh-huh. And. Um, always being reminded of um, who we were and just how powerful we could be. And so, um, yeah, we stayed out in in Southwest Detroit until I was, ooh, like in middle school. So we kind of incubated out there. For some reason, it felt like growing up out there was so separate from the rest of the city
1: and i was about (laughs) to talk about that because southwest detroit is uh right now highlighted through uh the bmf tv series for a lot of people Mm -hmm. it's almost like was a a different culture i interviewed uh ishmael walton you can go back into detroit's different archives and where we talk about it and just my understanding of it uh you know it, it was different because a lot of people in southwest detroit if a lot of people don't know that was kind of like the last bastion of black folks that made it to detroit so it was like first most people know it's it's the east side east side detroit was where black folks came in the beginning when we think about coming in the beginning like so like 1920s 30s folks it's like we've been here for forever and then like the west side folks like around the way maybe like 40s and 50s but around like maybe of like the 60s and 70s black folks made their way to southwest and it was like just all these hearsay like oh man people don't live over there because the land ain't good and this mm-hmm. that and the other but the unique thing about that is the families kind of had like a different it was a the stories i hear are that the families in the community kind of had to stick more together because yeah. it felt like yeah. We weren't really based by the rest of the trade or something.
0: Yeah, it Yeah, definitely. My childhood memory is full of um, the pool trucks pulling up um, mm-hmm. because we only had community uh, rec center out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who couldn't make it, the black club associations always came together every year. Almost everybody was participating. Um, all of the children would be out. The truck would pull up. We would play. um, mm-hmm. The, even if the city didn't block the streets off, the parents would block the streets off of cars. And, mm. you know, I just remember barbecues and um, just the the, the tight knit um, being able to walk down the street. And uh, my parents and my grandparents knowing almost every single uh, person in the houses down and there.
1: That was what was so different because mm. that lasted longer because, you know, people would talk about that like maybe like the 70s. But that carried on through. Into like the '90s and mm-hmm. Southwest a little bit more. Um, what what blocks? What neighborhoods? And, and what were the, some of the highlights?
0: Yeah, so um, I grew up on uh, Bassett Street, which uh, was right off of Schaefer and Fourth Street. Okay. So it was uh, when you're going on 75. As soon as you start seeing the factories, and mm-hmm. then you're crossing over Delray, which you always smell. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then uh, I was at first exit.
1: Okay. <laughs> now, um, as you as you like, uh, I guess. Growing in that neighborhood and then it's still being close-knit, are you still, like, connected to some of the families, some of the people from around there?
0: Yeah, um, because uh, both of my parents grew up out there. Um, I had the ability to know folks that knew them, but also um, attending school, uh, elementary school out there Mm -hmm. and uh, a little uh, tiny bit of uh, middle school. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the folks, you know, um, and not just Facebook friends. I mean, like, we actually, um, you know, interact with each other with our children. We still visit each other for holidays. We still celebrate each other's successes. And, um, and that's happened with school changes. People have moved out of state, out of the country.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, and I still I'm, I, I have more friends from southwest Detroit than I think I do from Detroit, and I live there.
1: And, and and also let me talk about this. So so you also have the relationship between Southwest Detroit Black folks, mm-hmm. River Rouge, Inkster, mm-hmm. Ecor. Like it's like a a network, mm-hmm. especially around that skating rink over mm-hmm. there. It's, it's oh, like,
0: I just took my boys over to that skate rink. As a matter of <laughs> fact, and it was the best time they had of their lives. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that rollercade is the first black owned rollercade. Mm-hmm. I, is it the country? Is
1: uh, it the state? I definitely the state, but maybe the country maybe yeah, the country too I, I interviewed uh man i can't believe w- william davis from northland a, a, a nice. while ago but that was like a different culture cuz even like going to roller so so people know it's, yeah. it's like if you weren't from over there and you walked in you felt like an outsider, outsider. Mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. northland kind of felt like you know everybody yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so um so as as we get into that parents what what was your mom what, what did your grandma do
0: yeah. So um, I don't remember much about where my grandma worked because I was I was a little I was a little old thing mm-hmm. and uh, she retired pretty early. OK. And um, my grandma was like,
1: I'm, I'm checking out. I ain't yeah. No,
0: she was, <laughs> but she was uh, she was so ready for grandchildren and, you know, okay. being like ultimate grandma cooking all of the meals and baking um, apple turnovers and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, my grandfather uh, worked with um, with the union and um, he was also with the Teamsters and. His job shifted a little bit, too. My grandparents were a little bit older um, mm-hmm. than, I guess, the average. And um, my mom has had um, just not a number of jobs, but she's... My mom seems like she's followed her her heart in terms mm-hmm. of her work, and she's followed her growth, you know, in her work. Um, she... I uh, went to school and did some work as a paralegal. Hmm. Um, that had me downtown uh, in a uh, Griswold building and Bored going to, to death. what was that arcade that was like right up? Uh, oh,
1: Roscoe's. I
0: can't. No, no, not Roscoe's. Just a little bit further. Uh, a little bit further up on Griswold Street, but um, but it was very similar hmm. to Roscoe's. and And okay. um, so I had that as my early part of childhood. Um, but then ultimately my mom started um going back to school, taking more classes mm-hmm. and was more interested in education. Mm. And um that's how I ended up at Aisha Shuley. and my mom worked there as a registrar, uh oh, I don't wanna I don't know how many years it was, but it for seemed a like yeah, it was while I was in school mm-hmm. and you know, she continued to do that work, um, even after I graduated high school. So So um, uh mm-hmm.
1: for, for people that are I mentioned it, but Aisha Shuley, an mm-hmm. uh, anchor African centered school uh in detroit led by mommy money humphrey and mama and mm-hmm. uh it, heck of a school it, it definitely connects a lot of different people and i think that a lot of people that have gone to an african center school like i'm not saying w- we walk around with excellence and we're so much better i just think it's it's always like a, a different type of confidence where you can tell it's like hmm, you may have Something's different with this one Mm -hmm. because it's so such a unique experience. It was for me as I didn't learn about a lot of like, uh, I guess, more traditional European or American history until I like way after Aisha Shule. But for you, because you came in. little bit older what was shulay like for you because you you had like an understanding of the difference yeah what was your immediate response to to aisha shulay
0: yeah it was culture shock i think i cried the first day (laughs) to be honest because it was so different you know i wasn't used to um it was so lax in some areas like it was home Mm -hmm. but then it was um so much more expectation too at the same time Mm. and um I remember uh, we had just even a different class schedule. You know, at the beginning of our day, we meditated. Uh, We had morning circle assembly uh, Mm -hmm. where we would sing songs and do chants and uh, and do um, red, black, and green pledges and things like that. Um, But I think that what made it so unique was the curriculum. You know, and the curriculum was um, to teach to teach African children their history and their purpose. And to also um, teach it from an African worldview, you know, meaning how does this impact or how does this um, improve the lives of African people? And um, that had to—that was a question we had to ask ourselves with every single thing we did, from the way we played on the playground to um, the way that we ate our lunch <laughs> to uh, the way that we wore our uniforms. And I think that... Um, that difference in culture um, even though we were still Detroit kids you know what i'm saying like we still had to go back home to our neighborhoods mm-hmm. we still have family members that did not go to this true way Yeah. Um, and so it just created this like unique hybrid of you know real world like growing up in Detroit experience coupled with some real strong positive imagery you know for you to be in principles for you to be able to take into your life which that's i think that's the the difference in the way that our confidence kind of shines
1: as, as you share that, because I remember our introduction was we went to an Ancestors Day program mm-hmm. um, and my mom and dad said, you're going to end up going to this school. And we're looking at this Ancestors Day program. So Ancestors Day uh, during the month of October instead of Halloween at, a Afri- at Aisha Shule, we will honor uh great black leaders that have passed on. So like I was Marcus Garvey one, Af- uh, mm-hmm. one Ancestors Day, uh Kwame Nkrumah, mm-hmm. and you would you would read about who this is and you would be that instead of like, you know, um a Dracula or right. something like that. Uh and, and it was unique because you also had a heck of the African drum drums and African dance. Mm-hmm. And that was something that it seemed like you were dr- Drawn into, so the way that, like, athletes may be looked at at some other schools, like, wow, right. they're on the football team, they're on right. the basketball team, or something like that. You'd be looked at for drumming and dancing. Yep. What drew you right into dancing? And you could share more of the story, but uh, shout out to Mama Asena. but
0: hmm mm-hmm. Also, I want to make a correction. I am definitely not the dancer in our family, but mm-hmm. um my brother was a lead in Jim Bay Fola. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my sister was a part of PPT since Good she point. was... A Watusi, which is kindergarten, uh-huh. and, um, and Jamoke, um, my little brother, uh, still drums, and he's a part of just various drum circles. I was the bookworm who liked doing a research project for Ancestors Day and getting mm. up on stage and giving and a sharing. report.
1: <laughs> right. So, But what was it like seeing all the drumming? Because I don't yeah. know what I'm thinking. It, it still resonated like...
0: with me um, mm. to this day, especially because my family, uh, my family members drummed, you mm. know, and my, with my brother passing. Um, And him um, having such an active role, just at any time, even when he went to college and came back, he immediately Mm -hmm. went to drum classes, immediately went to drum circle. Um, So when I hear those beats, what resonates with me is um, just the youthful um, support and and love that we got during that time, you know, as children. Mm -hmm. And it just triggers that again for me. And it reminds me of, like, the... um, Family-like relationship we had with our friends, with our friends' parents, you know, and um, I think that highlighting that program area as opposed to a sports program was unique and different, especially for that time. Yeah. But I also think that it gave uh, those participants and students like myself, who my siblings were going out of town, I had to go with them. Um, It gave us a different perspective on, you know, life and and on how and that there was stuff bigger than just Detroit and Michigan or, you know, the country lived in. So, again, just um, if you want to know more about um, about um, Jimbe Fola and some of the dance groups, and you can see Ancestor Day presentations, um, Bob M. Zay has some really good footage yeah. uh, on YouTube. And uh, if you type in Aisha Shule, I'm sure you'll find some of that.
1: So Bob M. Zay is one of the parents uh, from Aisha Shule. Uh, to me, it's like, that's Ma's dad because Maat mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. one of the people that <laughs> – uh, was at shulay with us uh so when we think about the even that like uh the capturing uh, of shulay in that journey and your mom there like mm-hmm. it became like really immediately family because it's like my mama work here exactly. i go here <laughs> it's like this is another layer of like all right i, I gotta really focus here This right. ain't you know what i'm saying right. what was that like being in school where your where your mom is
0: as a teenager? Whew, yeah. um The worst thing a teenager could probably ever wish for. <laughs> However, <laughs> um, you know, it was... Um, it, it was good, you know, because it allowed me to have continuity both at, at school and then also at home. My mom was able to um, see what was being reinforced um, at school that she was teaching me, and she was also able to carry and learn some things wow. over into our home.
1: It wasn't, no, we ain't had no homework today.
0: Right. I, I couldn't I <laughs> could never say the dog ate my homework. I could never pretend like I didn't have homework when I got home. Um, and I, I graduated valedictorian out of my class. That's um, what's up. So I think that it pushed me to um, to be to remain focused, and again, be able to meet expectations without that pressure, you know. But Mm -hmm. to meet those expectations with love and support.
1: Okay, so now, after Shule, Mm -hmm. what's in your journey?
0: Um, so I attended Oakland University For a small stint of time And radically decided I was dropping out of school Because I wasn't giving These white people my money <laughs> Okay Let's stop Let's stop
1: with that Okay What was What was it like Being on campus At Oakland yeah. Um You know That's like the Pontiac area mm-hmm. uh, Another person Hills. from mm-hmm. When I think of Oakland I think of another Shoe I think of Darnell Darnell yeah, Wilson Yeah Darnell Wilson yep.
0: Who is also successful With his yeah, own real business Real estate All, all types of stuff yep.
1: Darnell stay stay in the mix Yeah he, But know? he
0: hustled Even yeah, while we were Shoe laid Yeah I know It's like Darnell um, um, but yeah, it was a it was another culture shock. You know, this hmm. was that was the first time in my life, and I was only nineteen when I went, um, hmm. where I didn't have my family. You know, my Shule family or my biological family. Um, and so I did end up leaning. And the lay actually helped with creating networks uh, for students that went through um, to be able to reach out to alumni that had attended the universities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, of course, immediately Darnell came and found me. T'arca was going there at the time. He came mm. and found me. And, um, and folks just really embraced me. I was, you know, they tried to show me the ropes oh. as much as they can. <clears throat> yep.
1: And you say Tyarka, Tyarka Blue, mm-hmm. uh, another Shule graduate, and heck of a, like, kind of what I do, like, video, photo, yeah. real clean, real pre. That, that whole Blue family is crazy. I was about to say the whole you family is, But Yeah, is dope. But, uh, but definitely Ty- Tyarka was like, because they uh, are uh, another, and actually the. Um, he is the leader, lead veterinarian on Vet Life right now, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of was parlayed through his sister Nawara. But yep. that was like my best friend as in, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So Tyarka, uh, even though he was only like maybe like I don't know four years older than me, he almost felt like a dad. It was like you couldn't even. It's like <laughs> he had so that serious. dad energy too, though. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was so serious. It was like uh, you know you about to say something silly or something, and then Tyarka walk in the room like, "What y'all talking about?" And it's yeah. like. uh. <laughs> Not what I was about to say, Tyarca, when you leave the room. <laughs> I'm about right. talking about all this all this craziness that I just learned from this uh <laughs> Death Row album or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um so Oakland just didn't mesh. It didn't feel you. It didn't connect.
0: Yeah, no, it didn't. I mean, the classes were challenging in that um, you know the school had prepared us. We were taking like biology classes and psychology classes and things mm. like that as high school seniors, um, and a few of us had even enrolled in some college courses.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so it wasn't the academics that was different. Mm. It was the culture that was different. Yeah. You know, I had a hard time finding uh, folks that were that were like me, and the ones that I did. Um, they were acculturated differently, you know. Yeah. They were just kind of like the black sheep, and they didn't even realize it was more people out here like them. And so when I would link with them, I'm coming with like, oh yeah, okay, we drinking water, we got hair wraps, we, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, but they still, it still was not the same as um, being cultivated in that manner as a young child. And um, I was able to see the difference of that versus a person who gets it a little bit later in life, or as yeah. a result of lack of having something. And um, and so yeah, it was just hard creating bonds and trust and stuff like that. But a few people I did stay in contact with, okay. and um, and carried on with those relationships. But yeah, I left.
1: So after Oakland, and then this is this is unique as in in a heck of a life story. And this is why I like the Detroit is different stories because it's a lot of young people that like it's it's pressure. You were mm-hmm. valedictorian. It's a lot of young people that feel that pressure of like I gotta do this and I gotta complete yeah. it and I gotta. Without just having the freedom to sometimes say, "Mm, wait, this just really ain't for me, and Mm -hmm. and then pull away without feeling like, all right, I'm letting these people down, I'm letting my grandparents down, I'm Mm -hmm. letting my mama down, I'm letting my my younger people down. It's like, you know, uh, where was your mind at and what did you do? after like okay i'm going to leave oakland what 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 was the thought process
0: yeah oh well, i mean i was um what only uh i was in my 20s so i didn't have a house a car a, a career yet or anything so my mother um, you know, let me know that she support. She would support my decision if I was able to still have um, a fulfilled life if, if I, in the ways that I could have, if I got a degree. Hmm. Um, and so that that stuck with me. Um, and then uh, when I tried a whole bunch of little small jobs that didn't work out for me, she mm-hmm. made me get a job at Ice Shoeley, mm-hmm. and um, that forced me to um, one be back in <laughs> in the fray of having the accountability of my elders. You know, not just. Um, the parents and stuff that worked there. I mean, the uh, teachers and everybody who worked there, but also Mommy Mani and Mom um, mm-hmm. Hasina, and you know, um, being able to actually see from a more of an adult lens um, mm-hmm. the other side of the curtain, how they would, how they were able to get it all done. Yeah. Um, and it was even that was remarkable in and of itself. Uh,
1: now, I mean. so. And this is uh, like I always say, you know, when you're when you're like a teenager or twenty one, you you're so intelligent, but the wisdom is like so uh,
2: <laughs> if that. <laughs>
1: it's like I know everything. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you try a little odd jobs here, eye jobs there, then you land back at the shule. Right. And even for that, really as much as it's on your representation uh your reputation as a valedictorian, a lot of that really is your mother, you know, yeah throwing the alley oop of like what's up and then that also shows you uh and when i say you to everyone listening the, the family atmosphere around what i used to shulay is it's not nepotism like some people may think this is like really a cultivated environment where the the instructors the administration all supports you hence mm-hmm. we teachers aren't mr and mrs they're baba and mama
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know so getting back what were you doing at the shule
0: Um, So I wore many hats at the shoelay because uh, I was a student coming back to teach. And students had done it before. Alumni had done it before. um, But they didn't really stay a long time. They would come and they would do a task. And they were like, okay, I got that lesson. I'm going to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I I, I wanted to say I loved – the professional development opportunities that I got, you know, I got to take all different kind of trainings, uh, go to conferences, workshops. So anything,
1: you were just soaking it up.
0: Yeah, I was. And okay. um, I had no idea at the time what uh, what would come of that. You know, I just, you know, oh. I was like, well, I'm here and I might as well make the best of it. Okay. Um, I developed some great relationships with students. I got an opportunity, um, you know, to go back to school. I got an opportunity to be in, from uh, working administration, um, work as after school programming. I got to to be in a classroom for a small bit of time, so um, I got a lot of experience in kind of a short amount of time. I think I was there for like eight years.
1: Mm-hmm. So, like almost like a, I always call it like the Mr. Miyagi type style. Like you, yeah, you yeah. didn't necessarily have like a a, a a direct. But it's like I'll take some of this, I'll take some of that, mm-hmm. I'll learn this. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we're we're about to file this paperwork. Do you want to? Yeah, come on. Like like yeah. you just were willing and ready to to be. Fit in that space and place, mm-hmm. and this is also a lesson for young people that are listening about wisdom. The best opportunities are that come with those opportunities. If you're a young person, yep. be willing to go beyond just the the the, the shackles of like one specific thing. Mm-hmm. uh Quick, my story. Like it was one time, this this one kid that's in the graphic design, and his mom set up an introduction for me to meet him, and I'm like, yeah, we do a lot of graphic stuff, and he was like, well, look, I really only like doing anime, and I was like, okay. I see possibly a Detroit is different anime project, but it's not imminent and in my face right now. But the minute that it comes, you're the first person I call. But being that his willingness to shake that right. and sometimes that happens when you're younger. Right. I know I definitely it happened to me a number of like times
0: that. and yeah. I got fussed at when it what happened to <laughs> Mama Jamila came to me one day and was like, I set up this interview and you were late. I was like, well, no, actually, I got there on time. She was like, no, that means you were late. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to come early and have this stuff together, blah, blah, blah. And um, and I did miss out on the opportunity, you know. And, mm-hmm. again, just an example piggybacking, you know, yeah. how um, it doesn't feel comfortable when you're a young person, you know, hearing criticism or um, being told that you need to lean into something that clearly makes you feel uncomfortable. It's clear mm-hmm. on your face, your body language, in your stomach. But um, sometimes doing that, especially when it's coming from wisdom, from experience, um, you'll find that it leads you to a path you never would have imagined.
1: So school again, wh- where did you go? When when did you get started? Where, where did you go back for schooling, and, and what was that experience like?
0: Yeah, so I went back to uh, Mary Grove College, but by then I was a lot older and um, I was a mom. And um, it was a, just a much different experience. Um, so I was the, the person in the back of class with like my child sitting under the table because mm. I had to take a, a PM class because I still mm. had to
1: work. Mm. Now now a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. Mary Grove is big in my family with uh yeah. Mywa, Vicky, Mary, um, and just what Mary Grove represented. And it's, as it's transitioned over, uh, connected to the diocese, but Mary Grove had a different pulse and culture of embracing Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, so was like, right
2: uh what was it like
1: uh what was it like getting on that campus where it is I I just know so many people that that functioned in Mary Grove like you say as parents or or older older students I know for me going back to school older I I need I college definitely was way better in my in my late 20s than mm-hmm. if I would have been Fact. at 18 you know Fact. what I'm saying like my presence of mind wasn't there so for you what was the that that experience there like
0: um so it was um a lot less clinical Than when I attended OU You know mm-hmm. OU had like these big Like stadium style uh, Especially science classes Because I initially went for um, A pre-med degree Yeah When I first started out And um, I, Again Loving the biology classes But just feeling So small In a class of like almost 200 people. It's like like 100-something people in that class.
1: Mm. And
0: in um, Mary, girl, of the classes being much smaller, it it reminded me of the shulet. You know, we were sitting yeah. at tables. Um, the uh, instructor wasn't too far away. Um, and, again, just the, the the amount of support that was there, you know. Um, I was told multiple times, like, you know, it's okay that you're, you know, even from students, too. Like, it's okay that your son is here. Look, I brought him some crackers. And everybody was okay with it and understood, like, life isn't always... Um, it, it, we shouldn't expect to all have the same story. We're not, yeah. you know. And that we have to still um, accept people for where they are and still continue to embrace them. And so, um, again, that, and that was helpful for my son. My son to this day still remembers um, later on going to art class with me, yeah. you know, and just that, that wasn't that was my funnest class to be honest. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, but it was something we we, we share together now, yeah. you know. And so, I think that that experience was uh, was great.
1: Okay So Post Mary Grove uh, while, while still like In the shoelace, shoelace transitioning A lot of things Happening in and Around the state Where does that Put you
0: Yeah so um, So I worked at uh, The shoelace. Let me kind of Clarify the timeline So I worked at um, I went to OU um, I came, came back to Detroit Worked at the sholay. um, And then There was um, A little bit Of school time But then there was The Maj pasha of jobs. Um, at that point, I was like becoming a homeowner. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a thing that I did. And um, I was uh, a new mom, you know. So, and my son was pretty young. So, in between that time, I did a lot of uh, time off work so I could spend time with my son. Mm-hmm. And so, I stopped working at Ice Shoe Lake, you know, I had started working at Ice Shoe Lake for some time. And um, when, once my son was born, I really wanted to get into. Um, something that made a difference, you know, something hmm. that was more socially impactful than it was just an opportunity to make a job. Let me rewind a little bit. I, I worked at Quick and Loans for a while mm-hmm. I, as an example. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to corporate for a minute and I uh, worked with this company called Title Source. Okay. And um, and so I did that and realized, like, Ugh, once again, this is just not this isn't my culture and it it's mm-hmm. not it's not helping me help my people.
1: Yeah. So so the, do you think the catalyst? of wanting to be grounded in supporting your people was more becoming a mother or was it just more like you just more so felt like okay I'm I'm once again standing out where like this is just not mm-hmm. what it is
0: it started out as that I worked there uh I worked there for about a year um, mm-hmm. before I had my son and so it was definitely the the distaste of the culture, and that, yeah. and I mean, and I think Quick and Loans has a really great business model. Let me yeah. let me clarify, um, in terms of, um, and they have a really great um, staff culture, um, and they have definitely some uh, opportunities for growth and, and progressing their people. It was just a culture for me, you know. It was competitive. It was We worked in cubicles. I sat in front of a laptop, I mean, a, a, a desktop all day long, looking at two different screens. It was, you know, a typical corporate job, yeah. and. Um, there were volunteer opportunities, but it just really wasn't the same as, um, just I don't know, getting there, getting down, and getting down on in the mud with with, with, with the, the real, where what
1: the real issues were, you okay. know. All right. So, what was your first leap into that? Because right now you're, you're directing an organization and everything. Mm-hmm. What was your first leap into like? All right, let's let's do this. What was the first? Uh, organization uh beyond like like shambika organization like mm-hmm. not like it, it wasn't like your mom kind of led you into shoelace mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so i feel like that still is connected and it's family and it's you obviously with all your experience there but what was your first thing into that
0: yeah so um one of the things was um becoming a mother um i wanted to make sure that my because the shulay wasn't open at that, at, by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first son was born in uh, 20, uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. And so by then, the shulay had closed. Um, a lot of the shoeles around the city had closed. And um, those opportunities to network weren't really there anymore. And opportunities for education wasn't there. There was a few, um, you know, our still standing uh, soldiers, Al-Kibbalan and <clears throat> um, the Shrine. And, and there were some places like that. Um, but even our Aquaba Center, I think, had closed at that point. And so um, what I began doing is just looking for opportunities to just volunteer, just, you know, uh, informally and sporadically, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so D-Town Farm was one of the first places I went, and that's where we did our—
1: Let's stop stop there. Yeah. D-Town Farm. What was it about D-Town Farm that brought you there?
0: Um— I would say without the history of knowing uh, about Malik and Mama Hanifa and mm-hmm. all, of this, all of the all of the soldiers that are over there, um, it was the red, black, and green logo. It was the talks <laughs> about you know self determination, sustainability, um, and I knew I wanted my son to be a, in you know I wanted him to understand no doubt that, that, that part of our resiliency.
1: Yeah, so uh, D Town Farm, as people know. Uh, Plot of land that is shared amongst many people uh, in a farm farm 4D uh, where a lot of collards, a lot of kale, a lot of but a lot of work too. So if mm-hmm. you ever, if you ever you feel, dog, yeah, yeah, if you ever feel like you know rolling up, rolling up your sleeves and 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 getting down, that's a place you can get down. But great food. Uh, in good synergy because it's many other people that have connected there and volunteered too because yes. that's one thing about D-Town Farms when I hear a lot of people say "It's mm-hmm. when you talk about meeting people where you're at if you got a day to give if you got a week to give if you got five years to give you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. it's not a, a it's not w- something that you know you're gonna walk over to the back and then you gotta fill out 30 forms and then right. submit this, and submit right. it back, they just and blah blah blah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So even that energy. So I'm I'm sure it w- was it one of those things where you went one day, kind of saw it, and came back and saw it a little bit more, and then
0: no, I've been hearing, you know, I've been hearing about it, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, D-Town, but more specifically, Detroit black. Um, uh, food full security, security network. network. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they were also um, <clears throat> separating a little bit more from Detail and becoming more organized in terms of fighting uh, policy wise and
2: yeah.
0: um, fighting just um, on a, not a, on a different level per se, but just in a different arena. And yeah. so that's how we were able to get the food co op. Um, you know, and if you, I think you can still buy into uh, yeah. the food call. I think they're still building it, but and
1: there, yeah, it's it's coming together. First, rest in peace, charity. Uh yes. My last interview with Bob Malik, he spoke a little bit about what's going to happen with that, where it becomes it, the tangibleness because it, it connects with with our people differently. You know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, instead of being such conceptual, touching, it just changes the vibe and it energy does. with
0: our people. It does. Tangible, pragmatic solutions is what we need, for real. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, volunteering out at Detown Farm, um, Bob Malik um, allowed me to be able to do a Juneteenth event, which okay. uh, attendance was like nothing because I was not an event planner or nothing. It was just okay. something I wanted to do. Okay. And um, <clears throat> with that, I was able to... Um, just continue to volunteer for various organizations. I, I volunteer for um, We the People Detroit with uh, okay. ma, uh, Mama Monica Lewis-Patrick and yeah. Miss um, Deborah Taylor. And um, it was once I hit that point, um, that's when I became involved in environmental justice because they were wow. fighting, fighting hard. So you know, um, the success that I was seeing Mama Monica uh, Lewis-Patrick um, have with the youth, um, the way it resonated with me as being a new mother and having issues with water shutoffs, um, the dedication she gave, the fierceness she had, in um, the strat- the strategic way she was able to develop her campaigns, I, I admired so much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so um, I volunteered there for a minute, and I don't know, somewhere in the mix, I had I had another child, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. my four year old now. Okay. And um, that was when I. Um, Learned, I ended up running into uh, an old friend we were I would just happen to be at his house we were talking for a minute and Jackson Coppell, who was the uh, founding um, executive director of solidarity walked in because they were going to use this space to have a meeting hmm. um so you like is,
1: kicking it at your friend's crib right and then it's like who's that white guy and all these people walking? Right, 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 with with a whole crew of
0: black people, right? Uh Um, So we we did some brief introductions, and I had heard of Jackson before, and I had heard of Solidarity before, but, um, again, you know, my son was uh, born in 2012, and so the organization also started in 2012. Mm -hmm. So I was a little busy and not, you know, paying as much attention. And even when I uh, spoke with... um, Another old Shulay. I'm not going to say old Shulay. So make but it
1: a Shulay. Uh, another Shulay
0: alumni. Yes. Um, or a storm um, uh, um, alumni, Ali um, Darul Islam, uh, mm-hmm. of Writer Cooperative Industries now. Yeah. Um, when I went to him and was complaining about my energy bill back when my uh, my first son was a little baby. And I was I a was, uh, first-time homeowner. Um, that was one of the folks that they mentioned. And so hmm. that... Um, you know, it was like a second time and I was like, Okay, well we met twice, so maybe there's something to that. Um, they were um uh getting ready to enter a hiring phase and they were looking for uh what is it, lead organizer.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, so um then uh as a lead organizer, I got the job and it was my first time actually being paid for organizing work. Okay. And I was blown away. Cause I was like, if I had known I could get paid for this all this time, I would have been started a career, Hilarious. you know? So, Hilarious. um, yeah. So that was about, uh, I want to say almost five years ago. And uh, just for the past six months ago, um, I succeeded as being a director of, uh, executive director of Solidarity.
1: Congratulations. Congratulations. So now we can get right into your story, let us right into the work. So, lead organizer, we know what the position on paper says. Mm -hmm. What was the position in real life like?
0: Um, I was Jackson's first employee and (laughs) and only employee for a while. (laughs) So I found myself doing. A little of everything, okay. um, but in doing a little of everything, it allowed me to really it allowed me to really learn um, where we had strengths, where we had gaps, where we needed more people, um, what work should be um, owned by the members, and what um, accountability should be held with us uh, one particular leader. Um, also, just networked with a lot of different folks and learn more about the language of organizing and how to translate um, real-life issues into a way that could be spoken to a politician or um, an engineer or um, you know just a myriad of different types of uh, people and professions. Um, so in doing that I was able to do a lot of uh, workshops and trainings um, and then I began doing more um, um, speaking events, I been began to do more facilitation of workshops Um, And just throughout that whole just growth and learning process, uh, we were able to start expanding on a team. So, you know, it was the two of us, then there was three and then four, and we're now up to uh, nine staff.
1: Great. Now, you also we we, we also got to go into the elephant of the room as far as like um, and the elephant of the room. And I love it because it's so close. Like I remember the first time I was a kid and I went to Harlem. I was like, "Damn, this feels like a big ass Highland Park." <laughs> 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 that Bad. was my immediate response. Bad. Now Highland Park still feels like that. Mm-hmm. Harlem, on the other hand, is a little bit different right now. Yeah, but I'm like, it felt yeah. I'm like, I'm like African hair braiders, uh, yeah. vendors everywhere, uh, yeah. just you know people walking by like cool Mm -hmm. yeah you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. this guy in gators talking to that guy (laughs) with no shoes on you know what i'm saying like it just it's like this is (laughs) (laughs) like yeah it just it's like okay this could be like either the craziest skit on like in living color or this could be like the coolest thing ever but whatever it's a pulse to it you know what i'm saying? Uh, like on every level, you know, Highland Park is one of those unique places where like the most gangster hood person is next do- next door to, you know, Mama M- Mama Nandi. And mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And they like mm-hmm. cool and they would be like, "Hey, hey, hey, we ain't about to do that today cuz Mama Nandi right here. Hey, what mm-hmm. up though?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then next door to them is like the biggest Bible thumping uh Jehovah's Witness. It's it's a different Culture of blackness going it's on. It's so in funny Highland you Park. say
0: that because our solidarity uh, office, we have a shared office space, and mm-hmm. it is next door to Mama Nandi, literally. Yeah, and it's also on the other on the other side of us is as a church that uh, uh, that is uh, owning and, and allowing us to use the space. So mm-hmm. yeah, literally that.
1: <laughs> yeah, like like straight up. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like down, like. You know, the Highland Park preaching is a different type of preaching. So like Shout it's like ways. that old school, like it's not church like, okay, I'm gonna go to church and you know what I'm saying? Shout out no no offense to uh Triumph and everything like that. It's not gonna be like the hour, hour and a half service. You go to a Highland Park church, you may be in there for like from <laughs> <laughs> from from nine o'clock <laughs> to one o'clock. You like that? <laughs> this is down south like what is going on <laughs> in this service <laughs> so like the the whole feel like it's it's a different vibe so like mm-hmm. organizing there had to be different mm-hmm. what was the feel like it, it just it just embracing that and, yeah and getting that taste
0: um well the first thing i noticed in my very first uh membership meeting was that Uh, the majority of our uh, members were church-going older black women. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that changed... a lot of the initial approach, you know, during the inception of Solidarity, because initially, um, and did, can I go kind of go into the story of how yeah, we started? Go, go.
2: Um,
0: so Highland Park back in 2011 had about a thousand uh, residential streetlights repossessed by uh, DTE, which mm-hmm. is our monopoly utility company. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the first time that um, folks had folks had even known that this could happen, um, and it was the first time um, where it had happened. In, yeah. you know, especially. Uh, with Highland Park sitting right in the middle of Detroit. Um, There's a lot of speculation on why that was the case, you know, how the streetlights were repossessed and um, who should be held accountable or who Mm -hmm. should have done what. But at at the end of the day, um, the voices of the people, you know, weren't heard. They weren't included on the Mm decision-making. They weren't even notified that the streetlights were going to be repossessed. They just saw the trucks pulling up, coming out the ground. Um, And so... When you try to address a problem like that, um, it, it's very interesting because I believe the core team of founders was looking at from more of a technological, you know, we're going into a green era, you know, um, perspective. But Highland Parkers wasn't really at that point, you know. Like, they were just still blown away that streetlights were repossessed in the first place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um you know, I think that there is some um, accountability for leadership, political leadership there in Highland Park for the way that that went down. But I think ultimately what what we realize is that um, the lights being taken um, just show kind of a, a disdain that there needs to be um, people who are experiencing that problem at the helm of the decision making. You know, there's kind of like this disrespect. Um, yeah. We're considered consumers, you know, and... Um, you know, I think that that spoke to a much greater problem than just replacing the streetlights. So we attempted to do fundraising. We went to the city. Um, we put in map proposals. A lot of them are, are on our website. Um, and they all got shot down, and none of them really worked. Um, Solar streetlights aren't um, cheap, but they're not the most expensive thing you could do to try to improve a city. Um, and so, you know, now fast forward 10 years later. Um, we just installed 10 lights over at Avalon Village yeah. um, in Parker Village. Mm-hmm. And uh, Avalon Village is ran by Mama Sue Harris. Oh, yeah. And um, she has always been a strong <clears> supporter <throat> of solidarity. Uh, Juan Shannon is over at Parker Village, which is right off of uh, Buena Vista. Hmm. And um, these street lights actually have uh, Wi-Fi, mesh Wi-Fi on them. Hmm. So the lights went up in uh, 2020 um, around the time COVID was kicking in and we were all going remote and everybody needed Internet access and children was um out of school and needed internet access to go to school um and so that's what inspired those particular lights and um, our goal is uh, this year to do another installation of another uh, nine to ten lights. Okay. Uh, we haven't selected the location quite yet. We actually just got the funding. It's the beginning of the year.
1: Cool.
0: Um, so our goal is to try to work with um, you know a local based company to install them. Um, either have um, volunteers or to utilize. Uh, we're also running a training program. Utilize folks in the training program to help with putting the lights up. And so then there's the material need being met with the actual light. Um, There's uh, a more progressive need being met with the inclusion of the Internet. But then you also just have, you know, a lot of uh, white environmental justice like to throw around uh, words like inclusion and um, sustainability and, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. Um, To me, when we see um, black-led or BIPOC, people coming together and deriving solutions on our own is so much more phenomenal, you know, because Mm -hmm. we don't have um, maybe the technical education to be able to solve the problem. But when we galvanize together and we put everybody in the room and we don't have one leader and we all respect each other's leadership, we get tremendous things done. And we get it done in really fun and creative ways. So with these lights, uh, we're part of... um, some support with this uh, group called org that talks mm. about um, greening concert uh, spaces. Cool. So um, not only are we getting opportunity to reach a different demographic with music, uh, we're also able to show um, the power of black leadership in these spaces, especially, you know.
1: That's deep. You know, uh, that's deep. And, and as you were talking, this is me getting back in the soapbox of what I know uh, through um, – Through one of my friends, uh, Reverend David Bullock at the time was definitely big. uh, Greater St. Matthew Baptist Church, uh, the pastor, as that was happening, uh, uh, one of those down home churches in Highland Park. Mm -hmm. I I remember immediately when that was happening, but not just the streetlights like Highland Park over the span of, I would say, like 30 years was like. Almost like Mm -hmm. so many punches from the state. And when we think about the blackness that exists in Highland Park. So Detroit is like 80% black. Mm Highland Park probably is like 95% Mm -hmm. black or something. So think it's like 96. (laughs) Yeah. See, there we go. Uh I'm just eyeballing it. And I'm just, you know, so the... The, the the level of the split with the water department And, yeah. and what they've dealt with with water in Highland Park uh, What Highland Parkers have dealt with With the school system and, and not even having a active school system What Highland Park has dealt with With one of the world's most beautiful libraries And at one point in time One of the world's most renowned library collections mm-hmm. All of these things uh, Align with Historically probably for the past 50 years having nothing but black leadership in those positions. Mm-hmm. So definitely there are some political, it, it's some political accountability, but along the lines of the political accountability, we have to keep in mind the the way that black representation, it, it, it went, the minute that black people end up in a political, in, in many leadership positions, mm-hmm. The, the resources end up you know the the well of the resources end up ge- being run dry, mm-hmm. meaning that the budget is cut, mm-hmm. uh, options are cut. Uh, definitely, uh, ha- have there been some um, mishandling and and some um, what what would I say the uh, some. Some some things done that that uh, were were not in the best interest, whether it be to ignorance or possibly selfishness. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. But at the root of a lot of this, it's been the fact that the state of Michigan and the federal government has chosen to take less and less and less, and well, to take more and more and offer less and less to Highland Park uh, for any resources, mm-hmm. uh, even. Even when we think of the, the police department and the fire department, which at one point in time was uh, uh, something outside of Highland Park, but then it comes back. And even the way that the officers, none of them lived in Highland Parks, none of them connected with Highland Park. So this disassociates their connection to what was happening in Highland Park, because it was at one point in time, maybe about, I don't know, six years ago, I felt like, OK, it's a higher probab- probability of me being pulled over in Highland Park. And really sort of even right now than any other place. Like I felt like Highland Park, you know, police were on me as a black man like it's the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some of the challenges that are real in a city like Highland Park when you study the trends of what exists. But through it all, like I say, the the culture and the essence, if, if you want some pure down home blackness, it is Highland Park that you would connect with. And I think some of this also deals with the fact that that is the home of when we think of Henry Ford and, and the automobile, the the first Model T plant. When we mm-hmm. think of what became the conveyor belt, the whole idea of assembly line running and what automation is, it is rooted right in Highland Park. And even when you look at that factory, which we know is a historic lands- land. Landmark, and I'm sure it's it's people with ideas of gentrifying and changing around Highland Park. It hasn't happened yet, but it's an asset that uh, purposely has been defunded, mm-hmm. uh, and and I put that at the feet of more so than the black politicians in those positions. I put that at the feet of many of the white politicians that have Next oppressed us mm-hmm. for forever I you know what i'm say, saying since, since we all can remember yeah so mm-hmm. so i just wanted to give that piece on it so as you all are putting these lights in how have the people responded uh what what has it been like uh teaching you know some of some of our elders that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily a- as aware because street lights, if, if people don't know one of my street lights was blown out recently which i don't think detroit got a lot of good streetlights but that's my that own piece mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> during that that winter storm it's like weird it's Mm -hmm. like i saw it blown out but street lights and lighting around homes provides a a level of security and awareness Mm -hmm. uh not just for the hazards of like people possibly breaking in but also like you know it's winter you know Mm -hmm. ice you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying you don't even know where ice is and you're driving down the street
0: or if someone's crossing the street
1: yeah or Mm -hmm. yeah someone's crossing the street possibly a pothole or something like it's a lot of security things that go along with lighting too what how has the community responded to seeing this and and learning more about the idea of solar technology being something functional and useful Mm -hmm. your term pragmatic in our community
0: yeah so um I think that it's always well received um from from the average uh Highland Park resident. I think that the nervousness comes when um as an organizer you don't know how to you don't know how to speak both the language about the technology and the benefits that it can have in a way that translates to someone who has no interest in want to talk about kilowatts or mm-hmm. want to talk about you know they are asking you know how much money am I getting ready to save um, yeah. you know um I don't really need to know, like, um, how to measure the span of, uh, of a strobe of light coming down. What I want to know is, will my grandmother be um, walking down the street in complete darkness, you know, because it gets darker in the wintertime?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, will my children be able to play outside? And so I think that <clears throat> one of the things you were speaking on, um, Kari, is um, divestment plays a really big part in why we're at this point in our story. And, um, you know, one of the questions that a, f- a lot of... Um, reporters or, or especially like uh, suburban white folks uh, who want to who are interested in what we're doing down yeah. here the question that they, that they always ask is um, you know isn't this a way to just make you know um, or how is crime more so yeah. it kind of acts just straight to the point you know how has crime been since the lights were out <clears throat> and um, to be to be quite honest Crime has gone up slightly, but only when crime has gone up everywhere else in the entire country. Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not necessarily been the lights and it's not the people that you fear. But again, you pointed on some of the other things that lights provide, you know. And when you look at <clears throat> the way that Highland Park has been divested from and you look at the resources that should be coming um, from the state that are going to um, other communities, Ann Arbor, you know, and other um, communities that already have the wealth base to be able yeah. to do this on their own, out their own pockets, it's like, okay, I'm, maybe I'm missing something here.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, and so, in addition to just having people excited that the lights are going to come back, you know, through the hard work of folks that are again, 10 years so far, um, we've been dedicated to this, to this mission, but also that we are trying to afford other opportunities for um, systemic change and for yeah. policy change, and yeah. to um, have folks have the leadership of black folks continue to be respected so that we can continue to be self-governing uh, as much as possible. And so the other thing that's unique about our lights is that uh, we push for community ownership of the lights. Wow. We don't want to ask, you know, a million dollar I forgot what they call them. I'm having a brain freeze. A developer to come into Highland Park and just throw up the lights because we won't own them and we'll find ourselves back in the same situation. The goal Mm -hmm. is to create um, self-determining and, um, again, sustainable results. And sustainable is not just um, a green word, you know, it's a red, black, and green word. It means that like it. we are getting ready to be able to pass this down to generations. My children's and my children's children are going to remember the work that was done and they're going to be able to build on this. And so, um, I think that that's the bigger story that, you know, although we're working in one lane of energy democracy and clean energy and, you know, like some of the other, uh, phrases you may hear, I think at the end of the day, we're still fighting for the liberation of black people. Um, and to provide them with the best living conditions that they can afford, I mean, that they can have. And, um, yeah, I I feel like somewhere in there I answered your question, but I also feel like I was going. No, no,
1: no, no. Everything you gave was good rhythms. Everything you gave was good rhythms. Um, And and with that, we're getting closer to a close here. Mm -hmm. But... Always a natural question That even I have Is like Alright so Can y'all help me Get some solar panels In my crib Like yes. is that That becomes The big question That mm-hmm. I know Everybody It's like Can I Cut the cord You mm-hmm. know <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So the one thing That I think um, Folks should Shouldn't recognize Is that <clears throat> Right now uh, Legally There can be No off grid systems So even if we had All the money That we needed And we wanted To take um, This this block And mm-hmm. the next few over Put our money together And we all just say You know Rip the meters off Throw them back at detail Yep. You say we never paid you a bill, um, it, it's illegal um, to have a, mm-hmm. an off-grid system, on, especially on that scale. Um, however, um, and again, just defaulting back to Rider Cooperative Industries, if you look at their website and um, you look into the work that they're doing, um, there is a way to offset the amount of your electric bill costs mm. down to a point where the cost savings allows you to be able to... Um, have more breathing room to do other things. Okay. Um, you know, right now uh, the average Highland Parker in Detroiters DTE bill is thirty percent of their income, which is super high, and it's um, not as much when you go out in um, to um, other communities farther away from yeah. here. Um, yeah. And so it's it's basically like redlining is basically happening here mm-hmm. in Detroit and in Highland Park, um, but then. Um, there are so many alternative ways. There's um, black um, solar product companies, meaning they actually make the panels. They actually make the lamps and, and whatnot. Um, there's uh, RCI, which is a solar installer, black and housed in Highland Park, okay. that can install solar panels. Organizations like ours create um They're called bulk buy programs, where we all put our money together, and instead of you buying five panels for your house at this particular price, you buy—we all buy about 35 together and get a lower price. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then you know we're offering um, the opportunity to work with us through our our upcoming solar training program called Rise Up, and um, that's that's where you can learn exactly. All the multi-things that go into um, going solar. And I think that the first step, you know, if you are interested, is to uh, find out ways that you can reduce um, the amount of energy your house is kicking out. Okay. So before even getting solar panels, you know, sealing up your windows, um, doing weatherization, um, practicing energy efficiency, turning down your thermostat, all of this stuff that they tell you to do, but and then also um, buying into programs with your uh, neighbors Church members, uh, family members, um, buying your products together, your materials together, and um, using a local-owned uh, company to install them.
1: Cool. Such. That that all sounds uh, like great tips. And we got last couple of Detroiters different questions, the classic ones. Um, so here we go. And thank you. This has been wonderful. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Good uh, information. First one, mm-hmm. your very first car. Year, making, model. When did you get it?
0: Oh, good question, because I remember it, but I don't remember what year it was. Um, so it was a Nissan, I want to say it was like a S Z SZ or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What I remember about this car, though, is that it was a manual, and I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. Oh, so
1: you blew that cut, cut like um, a thousand times. You I
0: think like... I did pretty good, but no, I blew, I blew it. A, I, blew, no, I was I going to say, if you my didn't dad, drive. <laughs> my dad brought me the car from <laughs> North Carolina, and okay. um, he was like, you know, baby girl, you need to have transportation, but you have to learn how to drive the car. So we spent a few hours in a parking lot mm-hmm. somewhere out near Canton, I think.
1: He was just up there right And, there. yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> he, he fussed at me more that day. Nothing he's ever fussed at me in my life. I think he got out the car a couple of times and was like, just, F it. just do it yourself.
1: Hilarious. Um
0: but, you know, by the end of the day, right when the sun was going down, I was able to put down uh, 96 and get go. back to Detroit because hey, I, I wanted that car.
1: Okay. So, yeah. Hey, learning to drive stick is, is, is an advantage. You probably never hit the brake. But once you learn how to drive <laughs> one, you,
0: driving automatics is so boring. I love manuals now. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible learning, but I yeah, love right. them now.
1: That's also a way that you can avoid somebody stealing your car. They're going to be like, for what? Sure. The-
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially here. Especially what here
1: is this? <laughs> like oh man yeah. Alright so uh, Where was the first place you went I guess you drove back home But where was the first place you went When you got your ride Then When you went to a place
0: um, Yeah so the first place I went went Was home And let the, uh, my nervousness uh, <laughs> My nerves calm down The shakiness stop um, That's a good question It was so long ago Kind of telling my age a little bit But let me see Where did I go More than likely um, Oh I know I went to Target Okay. I went to Target because I went to buy um, Aaliyah's new album. Ah. Uh, Got Rock the Boat on there. Ah,
1: I probably figured that yeah. that was the Rest in Peace album too. Man, yeah. she like passed not long after that. Yeah. Uh, so then you're the DJ. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the Detroit fireworks. Woodward Jefferson, you get to play three songs. What songs would it be?
0: Oh man, Dang, these are great questions. Why didn't I prep for any of this? Um, so let me see. Uh, my brother's a, mu- a musician um, and an uh, artist, so I probably will play one of his songs. Um, mm-hmm. Which one would it be, though? Oh, so many. Um, it would probably be his uh, song, Look Up, uh, that you can find on uh, SoundCloud. Okay. Um I gotta come up with two more. Come on, Kyrie, you could have made it easier on me. Yeah, Just yeah, one would have been
1: good. Col- it, two it, more. Rest in peace. Your your brother was very talented. He played with us. Um, good energy. He was the one that was like, "Ma, Alana needs to get in the band because I'm gonna be across the country." <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, Jonathan
0: uh, Nichols. Uh, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Kokai Col- Damati. Yep. Yep. Um, oh man, good good questions. I don't know. I probably would want. I will need something really upbeat. I don't know. I'm having such a brain freeze right now. Um, okay, so I'm going to just be politically correct as opposed to trying to really think about this. Okay. Um, I will probably play. So if my brother's song was one of them, mm-hmm. um, my next song would probably be... Um, and I'm not thinking the name of it, but it would be one of um, Molly Wap's songs. They get okay. some super hype songs. Yeah, they do. Um, especially on their last album. And then um, my partner, Cypher, has, uh, I don't know, two albums, three albums? I don't know. Okay. Um, but I would most definitely play uh, play one of his songs.
1: All right. And last question. If you could rename Woodward after One Detroiter, who would it be and why?
0: You said if I could...
1: Rename Woodward after 1D Trader, who would it be, why?
0: Hmm. That's a good one, too. Um, <clears throat> that is a really good one. To be honest, right now, I probably would say, y- y'all could probably tell, but Malik Yalquini is one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- And I think that he's worked so long and hard, um, both as an educator, um, building a whole school Building up an organization and um I just think that he um doesn't get his, his praises sung enough. So I would say I would want to name after Bob Malik.
1: I, I love that too. Uh definitely one of my uh greatest big homies and always so mm-hmm. humble and, and boy, oh boy my interview with him went many a places that i never do like he, he he was he's into everywhere. This. Yeah, I know, <laughs> and it's like and very cool too. It's like so you know down the earth, so yeah, yeah. Earth.
0: he came to sp- speak at one of my classes at Mary Grove, and I had no idea he was a guest speaker, and so when I walked into the room and I saw him, I'm like, "Oh, this is about to be awesome," and he rocked that class, I mean, he keeps it real, he reminds us that you know we can be ourselves and still um meet the marks and meet some of the expectations mm-hmm. um, that we think that we can't when we when we keep it real.
1: And I, I, <laughs> I meant, well, he's cool like that, but I meant cool like like I'm square and he's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, you yeah. got a rhythm, a bop, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, Bob Malik. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I assume you can see him from walking from miles away. like, that's probably Bob Malik. <laughs> yep. Facts. So Facts. that works. Thank you so much. Thank you
0: so much for having me. All right. Peace. Peace.